Thanks, Meredith. And welcome, everyone. The, uh, the room feels lopsided, so I'm going to try to get to the center and just talk to the middle here. Could you move that stuff? Thanks. Um, if you want, uh, you can go ahead and open up version as we're going to be spending time in Philippians this morning. In fact, the, the first series that we're going to be going through here is uh, entitled uh, Content of Contentment. And uh, we live in a world where contentment and peace is a hard thing to come by. And so uh, we're, for the purpose of exploring this idea of contentment, we're actually going to move through the book of Philippians. And so uh, this morning we're going to start right at the beginning of Philippians. And I, I acknowledge the fact that there's all different types of people here uh, at all different types of walk of life. I know that there are some of you that have been in the church world your entire life, and it's everything you know. Uh, there are more on the front end, and maybe we even have some people that are uh, objectors this morning that came here because they got invited, and they're not sure that God is even real, or uh, you came for class at Finger Lakes Community <laughs> College Victor <laughs> Campus, and you had such a rough night last night that you think today's Monday, and you're wondering why the class looks different. <laughs> no matter, That would be awesome, by the way. If that's you, I would love to talk to you. Um, but but uh, regardless of what form of life you're coming into this situation as, uh, we realize that there's something that God has for each one of us. And so with an open heart and open mind, uh, let's go ahead and uh, look at what Scripture says, specifically the first 11 verses of Philippians. And so I'm going to go ahead and read through that. It says, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians was one of the first, the church in Philippi was one of the first supporters of Paul financially as he went on his missionary journeys. So that's what he's speaking to. And it goes on, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. We're thankful to be in this place. We're thankful to be a part of what it is that you're doing in this and surrounding communities. We're thankful to participate in the furtherance of your gospel. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that your presence would remain in this place, that we would leave here having had an encounter with the real and living God to ever be marked by it. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. So a little bit of a backstory so that we can all be on the same page as far as where Philippians is and what it's about. Uh, Paul is the author of Philippians, and uh, it's considered a prison epistle. And a prison epistle is just a fancy way of saying it's a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison. So it's a letter that he wrote while he was in prison. And so that we can understand the context here, Paul is in prison. We believe that he's in Rome, and he's been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And so he's sitting in a Roman prison, and he writes a letter to the church in Philippi, 
which he had started 10 years prior. So he had planted this church in Philippi. He's writing a letter now 10 years later from a prison in Rome, and he addresses some identity issues right on the front. Have you ever tried to be uh, someone that you're not? Um, I have. Maybe I'm the only one guilty of that. Um, but th I could think of a million different times where I tried to uh, project myself to be something that I wasn't in order to fit in, in order to uh, connect with other people, to find some sense of belonging in the world as a whole. One uh, story in particular uh, involves actually someone that's here and part of the lead team, Eric, uh, which I'll probably pick on a lot because uh, we grew up together. You can add him to your prayer list. Um, but uh, there was one time in particular, he, he lived, um, his parents live, they still live next to a, a field. And uh, so there was this big farm that they would allow a farmer to lease out. And so there was corn and everything. And one of the things that he had was this little motorcycle. And uh, it was like a little motorbike. And it was literally a, a motorcycle that was shrunk down to mini version. I had never seen one. But he said, hey, do you want to ride that? And I was like, yes, I want to ride that. And he said, do you know how to ride that? And I was like, yes, I know how to ride that. I had never seen one before, but I wanted to increase my cool factor. And I thought, how do you tell someone that you've never ridden a mini motorcycle? So sure, yeah, I've ridden one. And so we're getting ready to leave. And as we're walking out to go to the, the motorcycle, uh, his mom's like, uh, wait, you need to wear a helmet. And I was like, Psh, I never ride helmets when I ride my mini motorcycles. <laughs> and she's like, no, if you, don't ride, if you don't wear the helmet, then you're not riding the motorcycle. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. You know, she's like, no, you need to promise me that you'll wear the, okay, all right, I promise. I'll wear the helmet. And so I take the helmet, and, uh, and Eric says that he wears the helmet too. So I'm like, all right, I'm cool with wearing the helmet then. And so we go out into this field, and he rides the, he starts this motorcycle, which I'm trying to pay really close attention to because I've never started anything like it, but I'm about to act as if I know what I'm doing because I'm trying to uh, be his friend and fit in. It totally worked. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, so the, um, <laughs> he's like, what? You've never ridden one? This friendship is over. Storms out. That'd be awesome. Um, so... He's sitting there, and uh, he rides his motorcycle in the cornfield, and he's riding around in a circle, and uh, there's, like, this little jump that he's made, and so he goes over the jump, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to, like, act like I know what I'm doing, and uh, what I can't remember is, is how many friends were there or what was involved, if there were other people there watching, because there were different times we gathered, but in either case, I knew I was really trying hard to fit in with Eric, and uh, so... He goes, all right, man, it's your turn. And I was like, all right, cool. He's like, you just need to be careful because, you know, every once in a while, the clutch will get stuck a little bit, and then, you know, you'll, you'll just keep going faster. And so if you're not careful, you just downshift. I'm like, right, downshift. Okay. And he's like, so it sticks a little bit. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. No, I know exactly what you're talking about because I ride mini motorcycles. It's what I do. It's who I am. And so... He is having this thing run. I get on it, and uh, I try to start it. Can't start it. And uh, he's like, oh, it's a little bit tricky. Let me start it. So he starts it, and that was the only reason because it was tricky, not because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I get on this thing. I have my uh, helmet on, and so I start off into this field. And it's kind of common sense if you've never been on one. It's kind of like riding a bicycle in the sense that it's not like it falls over. It kind of balances itself, which I was relieved about. And so we're going. I'm going along, and I'm going faster and faster, and I come around this bend to go towards the jump and uh, the clutch gets stuck and I start going faster and faster and it just starts accelerating 
and uh, I kind of hit the brake, uh, but the brake that I hit is the front brake, and so I feel the back kind of lift up a little bit. I'm like, not going to die that way. And so I just keep going faster and faster and faster. And when I hit this jump in the middle of a cornfield on a little motorcycle, mini motorcycle, I was somewhere in between or around 30 and 40 miles an hour. It was fun. And so I hit the jump, yay, and I find out something real quick. If you ever go over uh, a jump with a motorcycle, it is imperative that you remain connected to it. Uh, the motorcycle weighs more than you and will fall faster. And if you're not holding on tightly, you will then separate from said motorcycle, which I did in fact do, going somewhere around 30 and 40 miles an hour. I was thrown from the motorcycle and I fell into a cornfield going somewhere around that speed and I awoke. You see, I was knocked unconscious immediately, <laughs> even with a helmet on. I woke up to Eric holding my head in his lap <laughs> with no shirt on and he's weeping and he's shaking his fist at the sky. <laughs> He's like, why, why, why? You see, I think he thought I was dead, which, by the way, I'm glad, in fact, he thought I was dead, because had I woken to him giving me mouth to mouth, this story would be entirely different, and Eric would not be with us this morning. So, um, in either case, uh, I came to, and I, when I had fallen, my helmet hit the ground and knocked me unconscious, I guess, when it hit, and I had uh, torn my shirt, uh, my sleeve had torn up, my jeans were torn, and I had made a ditch, I don't know, 20 feet long or something like that with my helmet. And, uh, and Eric, out of frustration, from time to time, he would, uh, he would tear off his clothes out of anger. His shirt, specifically. I don't know if it was like an Old Testament thing, like where they like tear their clothes. He wouldn't tear his clothes, he'd just tear it off. And so there was another time where I think Mark Mosley like burned his leg on the muffler or something. He turned it, tore his shirt off and threw it in the air. And I don't know why. So I, but I love that I'm telling the story because I have the microphone. And so in either case, uh, he was weeping and distraught. And, and the reason uh, I, I tell that story this morning, besides the obvious, is when we pretend to be someone that we're not, it never works out well. And someone always gets hurt. I can't think of a single time that I pretended to be someone that I wasn't, that someone didn't get hurt, or I didn't regret having done it. We all have stories in our mind and in our thoughts, and some maybe even in the forefront immediately, of a time that you pretended to be someone else for a certain purpose. It's almost like an identity crisis, right? It's identity issues. And listen, verse 1 right up front Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. I want to focus on the first, that, that set, uh, middle section there of that first verse. In Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. I want to focus on the importance of that because it's critical to understand that Philippi was a leading city in a district of Macedonia. All right, And although that might not mean a lot to the people in this room, it needs to be understood that it was a colony of Rome and uh, it means that there was a lot of pride in Roman citizenship in Philippi. Like to be Roman was like to be everything. In fact, Philippi was populated mostly by a lot of retired Roman officers. And so it was super big deal. Like your identity was rooted in the fact that you were Roman. The city was actually built to look like a mini Rome. In fact, the community of Philippi 
the Roman Empire was literally believed to be God. It's called an imperial cult. Sounds like Star Wars-ish, right? <laughs> but literally, they believed that the emperor of Rome was God. So right up front, Paul is reminding this church that he started some 10 years earlier, listen, your primary, your primary identity is Christian. You are in Christ, and you just happen to live at Philippi. Your surroundings shouldn't define you. If there's something to take away this morning, and I want to challenge you with, is how often are you influenced and defined by your surroundings? I want to ask you this morning, what is your identity rooted in? If you're not sure if, if this idea of, of identity is kind of like, I don't know what my identity is rooted in. I mean, I don't even know how to process that. Here's a question for you to contemplate. What are you placing at the center of your life? If you want to know what your identity is rooted in, it's real easy. Just think for a second, what is it that is at the core center of my life? What have you placed at the center of your life? Listen, it wasn't bad to be Philippian, right? Just like it's not bad to be an athlete. It's not a bad thing to be a musician. It's not a bad thing to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mom, to be a dad. It's not a bad thing to be a businessman. It's not a bad thing to be a businesswoman, right? Those are all good things, unless they become a central thing. You see, if they become a central thing, it changes everything. So are you a, a business woman this morning that happens to go to church? Or are you a Christian that happens to be a businesswoman? You see the difference? What have you placed at the center of your life? Because what you've placed at the center of your life you will worship. You'll worship it. Because it's the center. It's the hub. Everything else circles around that. Your identity is connected to it. It's everything you are. It's everything that you hope to be. You worship it. Worship is assigning worth. And so what are the things you've signed, assigned worth to? Because that which you place at the center of your life is where you assign worth. And listen, it's where you derive worth. Get that for a second. The thing that you've placed in the center of your life is where you assign worth and it's where you derive worth. What's your identity in? All of us want a sense of belonging. It's the one thing that we all have in common. Regardless of the phase of life that you're in, regardless of how uh, Christian you are or Christian you aren't, you all want a center of belonging. We all do. It's, it's a human condition. We want to belong and we want to have worth in this world. And, and maybe, you know, we spent uh, 10 years in youth ministry uh, before we spent eight years as an executive pastor. But the, the 10 years early on in our ministry life, we would often come in contact with these teenagers that would be like, no, man. And they usually sounded like that. <laughs> like, oh, man, I don't need anybody. You don't need anybody? No, man, it's just me, man. I'm a loner, right? Like, they were wearing black trench coats before that was something to be afraid of, because we're talking like 20 years ago. And, and like, man, like, it's just me. I don't need anybody in this world. I'm a complete loner. Like, me and some other guys that are also loners, like, we get together, we talk about, like, how we don't need anybody. <laughs> like, do you hear what you're saying? It's true. Right? Because at our core, we were created for community. We were created for belonging. 
We were created to, to lean in and to desire a sense of worth. So I ask it again. What are you placing at the center of your life? Sense of worth. Is it attached to a career? Because listen, if your sense of worth, if, if what's central to your life is your career, everything circles around it. You assign worth to it. You derive worth from it. And then you lose your job. And you're crushed. Why? Because that's who I was. And you know what? I can also say, my identity's mom. And then what happens when your kids graduate? Uh, I'm not so sure I really love my husband. <laughs> We're kind of staying together just for the kid. I mean, now I can't control him very much. And they're going off. Or when they rebel. Or whatever the issue might be, you're an athlete. You don't make the team. You're crushed. What are you placing at the center of your life? Paul goes on, verse 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I love that he says in remembrance of you, because if you, if you recall, Paul has started this church that he's writing to, and uh, you can actually read the story of how he started this church in Acts chapter 16, if you want to do that. Acts was written by Luke, and he tells the story of how Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke are actually starting this church some 10 years later, and uh, how they're basically the, M, the MO or uh, the typical way that, that Paul would plant a church would be to go into a synagogue. And in Philippi, there was no synagogue. They were worshiping the emperor of Rome. So there was no synagogue. There was no churched people. And so they're just kind of walking along a river and they run into this prayer group that's kind of happening. And a woman by the name of Lydia is running this prayer group. And it says that she's a seller of purple wares, purple clothing. And so basically, based on the context of that culture, we know from this that, that Lydia is actually a wealthy woman. And so we have this, this woman who is wealthy that's running a, a Bible study and uh, a prayer group, sorry. And what we see is that Paul actually uh, has an interaction with her where he shares the gospel and he reveals who Jesus is. He actually leads Lydia to the Lord and he baptizes her right there in that river. Lydia goes on to be really the founding member of this church that's established in Philippi. They meet in her home and uh, a lot of the leadership in the front end of the church in Philippi was female. And so we see this uh, amazing uh, encounter with a wealthy woman that is uh, converted and, and comes to be a part of this, this church plant, essentially. But if you continue to read on in, in Acts, you see another uh, person that joins this church in the beginning that, that feeds into the birth of this church, and it's this slave girl. We don't actually even know her name. She's referred to as a slave girl. And uh, she's actually influenced uh, by a demon. She's a demoniac, or she's possessed by a demon. And she's following Paul around. And uh, I love the, the text. If you, if you read in Acts, he actually says that he was greatly annoyed with her. <laughs> That resonates with me, right? I love that the Bible's very, like, practical. It's not like, you know, then Paul turned around and said, henceforth, I have mercy on you. And I was like, you know what? You're annoying. <laughs> and so we're going to stop this right now. And so it says in Scripture that he literally casts the demon out of this young slave girl. And what was happening is this uh, girl was owned by some other people in the community as a slave girl. And because of her demon, demonic influences, 
they were able to benefit financially off of that. She would tell people uh, versions of their fortunes and kind of uh, twist the reality and people would pay for it. They were amazed by it. And so the minute this demon is cast out of this girl, it has a profound impact on this girl and all the people that know her, but the people that own her are furious. And so they throw Paul in prison. And uh, scripture says that they throw Paul and Silas in and they're beaten with rods. They're beaten with rods and they're thrown in prison. Their situation is not looking good. And this right here is where how we view God comes out. Right? This is where people that are far from God say, see, look. Look how abusive and mean God is. Like, these people are there to start a church. And what does he do? He just lets them get beat with rods. There is no God. But there's, there's other things that kind of get unearthed in situations that are difficult. We wonder, did we miss God? Or did God forget about us? I mean, come on, like we're doing his work. We're, we're trying to start up his church. I mean, why didn't the signs come in? <laughs> I mean, come on, right? Things start to, to be revealed in difficult moments. They realize and they reveal what it is that we've placed at the center of our lives. You see, when difficult moments come, it's like a litmus test for what it is that we've placed in the center of our lives. Because all too often our view of God is that he just rescues us from painful situations. That once we come into relationship with God, he puts a little bubble around us and promises that we'll never get hurt, that nothing will ever go wrong, that you'll be able to pay all your bills on time, that your kids will always be safe, that they'll end up being millionaires someday and support you. Pray to that end. But no, the, the, the thing is, it, we think that there's this little Christian bubble around us, and how dare bad things happen to us? And what, what it's exposing and what it's revealing is a, is a problem within our hearts about what it is we believe we deserve. That's, that's the root of the issue of what it is we place at the center of our lives. Because when we place something in the center of our lives and then we kind of pay homage to God by being a good person or coming to church or tithing or whatever it looks like that we think, then we say, God, because of this, I deserve a better version of my life. And maybe, um, just maybe, God is providing you the strength to walk through the difficulty in your life. But we don't want to hear that, right? We want to kind of hear our version of our story. We're going to talk more about this next week, difficult situations and how we navigate the circumstances of our life. But Paul and Silas, right now, to go back to the story, they don't start complaining about their situation. They're sitting in prison. Their backs are bleeding. They're chained. They're locked up. They're in prison. For what? Preaching the gospel. And verse 25 of Acts chapter 16 says that at midnight... They start praying and singing. What? How? Like, how does that happen? Is it because Paul and Silas are superhuman? Is it because we need to be just like them? Like, listen, when, when difficult things come, you suck it up. I mean, these guys got beat in the back. You ever got beat on the back? Come on! It's not that hard, right? It's ridiculous. That doesn't even, that doesn't even process. How, 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 in fact... Are they able to pray and sing? It's because of who was placed at the center of their lives. That's why. 
You can try to be spiritual in moments of difficulty, but what will happen is moments in difficulty will reveal that which you've placed at the center of your life. And in this difficult moment, what's being revealed is that Paul and Silas are not, in fact, superhuman or super spiritual. They've just simply placed Christ in the center of their life. And when Christ is the center of their life in the midst of difficulty, they're saying, you know what, God? Somehow you've got this. I don't know how, but we're going to worship you in the midst of it because this circumstance and this situation doesn't define me. What happens? There's an earthquake. There's an earthquake that opened the doors of the, of the prison. Now, some people might say, well, that was just coincidence. I mean, it was just, it, it happens. They were on a fault line. <laughs> Whatever it is that you want to say. But something even more unique than the doors opening, it says that the chains fell off of them. You can't really say that's caused by an earthquake. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, the doors opened. Well, that's lucky, right? Yeah, we're on the San Andreas. You know? And all of a sudden, boom, the chains, how'd that happen? I don't know. So something is happening spiritually here. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've been praying and uh, I've been singing and being like, come on, Lord, we worship, we adore you. We're like having church service in a prison. All of a sudden, the door opens and the chains pop off. You leave, right? Like, that's what I do. If what's in the center of my life is my life, my safety, my family, I'm going to go say hi to my wife. I'm going to run out of here. Thank you, Lord. It's an answer to prayer. But they don't leave. They don't go anywhere. Why? Because at the center of their life, where they were didn't matter. And when the door flew open and the chains fell off, they said, you know what? Maybe God wants us to do something here. Let's stay right here. You see, because what we don't know, what you might not understand, is that Paul had a get-out-of-jail-free card. He was a Roman citizen. It was illegal for him to be beaten and imprisoned without a trial. And so he has the ability to say, hey, guys, time out. I shouldn't be in here. So getting out was not a problem for him. So when the doors fly open and the chains fall off, he's like, hang on, Silas. Let's hang out a second. God's doing something. It's incredible. It's incredible how your perspective can change when Christ is the center of your life. And so they come out and they look, and the jailer is about to kill himself, Scripture tells us. Why? Because what the Roman government would do to him is far worse than what he could do to himself. And so he's about to take his own life. And Paul goes, whoa, 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 don't do that. He's like, what? He's like, we didn't leave. He's like, come again? He's like, yeah, we're, we're still here. You're going to be good. He's like, why would you not leave? So Scripture tells us they have the opportunity to actually lead this jailer to the Lord. And he brings him home and he dresses their wounds, and he leads their family to the Lord. It's this profound, amazing impact that, that the Lord is doing in and through Philippi. Not for one specific people group, but across the socioeconomic boundaries, all across the, the spectrum, from the wealthy to the slave girl to the, to the middle-income blue-collar jailer. God is doing something in this community. It's amazing. When Jesus Christ is the center of your life, your circumstances suddenly have no authority to define who you are. So now Paul, some 10 years later, in a Roman prison. <laughs> it's amazing how much time this dude spent in jail. <laughs> it was 10 years later, and he's sitting in a Roman prison, and he's reflecting back on those days, no doubt. And he's reminding the Philippians that God established that church with wealthy Lydia, slave girl, and a blue-collar jailer. They were so very different, but they had one thing in common. Once Jesus became the center of their lives, their identity became child of God. 
and that changed everything. She's no longer wealthy, Lydia. She's Christ follower, child of God, Lydia. So how can I leverage my finances to further the kingdom? Slave girl, child of God, I have worth. I have an identity. I'm not, I'm not alone in this world. Someone loves me. Game changer. Blue-collar jailer. Listen, he could have left, and I would have been killed. God's got to be real. i got to tell my whole family. It changes everything. Now for a second, when Christ is in the center of their lives, they're no longer struggling with what they deserve, right? Mm, not likely, right? There's still the reality that they're human. So if we all struggle with the humanity of what we deserve, and we have the reality that we can place Jesus in the center of our lives, then how does that change anything? Do we just suck it up? Do we just remind ourselves? Do we give ourselves spiritual pep talks? Like, listen, God's doing something. We don't know why. Remember, Paul didn't leave the jail. Maybe we stay here. I'm not sure. I don't know why we do this either. <laughs> you see, they came to a place where they realized what they really deserved. And I want to submit to you this morning that maybe we have to come to a place that we realize what we really deserve so that we can speak to the truth to ourselves. You see, because of our sin, what we really deserve is hell. But Jesus lived the sinless life that we can't. And he died the death that we deserve. You see, the good news is that even when we have Jesus, that when we have Jesus at the center of our lives, our identity becomes child of God. So we don't get what we deserve. You see that? When Jesus is the center of our lives, we don't get what we deserve. We walk in what Jesus deserves. There's a freedom there that changes the perspective on everything. You see, now all of a sudden when we lose the job, we start to look at the fact that our identity is child of God, and we start to pray and say, okay, God, you're up to something. I don't know what it is. I don't like it, but my job never defined me, so let's figure out where it is that you're, you're sending us, what it is that you're doing, because I am a child of God. It changes everything. It changes everything. When we walk in the freedom of the truth of the gospel, with Christ at the center of everything. Because verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is good news. We are all a work in progress. And when we choose to put Jesus at the center of our lives, it absolutely changes everything. So, as you contemplate what it is that you've placed at the center of your life this morning, I want you to consider one more thing as we talk about the application, because the reality is, the speaking of the word, you can just attend a church service, and someday we'll talk about this one. I mean, this is the first like, opportunity where we're like, okay, invite people, here we go. <laughs> so even if you, if you never come back, you'll be like, I was there the first time. They were a hot mess. No, but <laughs> we'll always remember this service, but what I want you to remember even more than the first is I want you to remember what the text requires of you. How does Jesus being your center change every sphere of life? How, how does that change everything? So the first question, what is it that's at the center? But this morning, if, if you decide to put Jesus at the center of your life or get clarity about Jesus at the center, how does that impact every sphere 
every circle you function in, your family, your marriage, your children, your work, your school, your friends, your team, whatever walk of life you're in, how does that change? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. As we consider the implications of the text this morning, I want to challenge you that maybe, just maybe, the possibility is that when you came here this morning, you were far from Christ. And for you, the decision that you need to make right now is to cross that line of faith. And so I want to provide opportunity for that. If you're here this morning and you say, listen, I've never really placed Jesus at the center of my life. I've never made the decision to ask him to be the Lord and leader of my life. If that's you this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. And we're not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. And you'll just have to trust me in that. I just want to agree with you. So if that's you this morning and you want to make that decision to come into relationship with Christ, you just slip your hand up. I'll say I agree with you and you put it right back down. It's that easy this morning. Okay. The other, the other areas of application this morning that I want you to consider is what it looks like. How does Jesus being your center change every sphere? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, listen, I'm, I'm a Christ follower. Like, he's been the center of my life. Like, hasn't he? <laughs> I want to tell you, the truth of the gospel is something that doesn't simply win you. It grows you. And so this morning, if, if you've been a Christ follower for a hundred years, a dozen years, whatever it looks like, you never outgrow Jesus being the center of your life and having to center your heart and mind around that truth. You don't outgrow that. Even in the preparation of this message, me and the, the teaching team, as we went through the text, we were like, gosh, so convicted. Like, God, would, would you help me to place you in the center of my life day in and day out. And maybe that's the application this morning. Maybe it's just a commitment to say, God, would you, would you show me what it looks like to place you in the center? I don't know what application looks like for you this morning, but I know that if you put Jesus in the center of your marriage, instead of praying for your spouse to change, it's amazing how you start to pray that God would change you. Right? When you place Jesus in the center of your parenting, it's amazing how you, you stop telling your kids they need to change and you start saying, God, would you, would you change the way I, I show my children the love of God? Work, school, you name it. I'm not here to play the Holy Spirit this morning. I'm simply asking that you give the Lord space to speak to your heart and mind. So what are the spheres that need to change? And I want to submit to you this morning, if you're like, oh no, Jesus is the center. He always is, every day, every area, every part of my life. I want to tell you, the thing that is in the center of your life is self-righteousness, and it's a problem. You need to pull the religion out of the center of your life and put Jesus there, because you don't outpace it. God needs to be placed in the center of every area of your life. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer and we're going to go into worship and respond to the truth that's been spoken this morning. Heavenly Father, would you, 
Would you do a work that only you can do? Father, would you show us the areas of our lives that we've placed other things? Material goods, popularity, prestige, retirement, all whatever it might be, we placed in the center instead of you. Father, would you forgive us? We're coming back to the truth that you are the center of our everything. And we want you to impact every sphere that we walk into, every circle of people that we come into the midst of. Lord, would we be a change agent for your glory? We simply declare ourselves available.